You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I am Stefan Heinrich Simont. I'm a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. We've got some really good news. We got a new addition to the team. Yes. You may remember, everyone, that a couple of weeks ago, we called out for help because our Instagram channel is just so bland. <laughs> It's like once a week you can find a snippet of our show there to promote the newest episode, and that's kind of it. Mm. But we want to stick with our idea of basically making all of the outlets and distributions that we have interesting and engaging in their own way. So we asked for help, and... We actually found someone, a really nice person, who joins the Studying Pixels team as of this week. Said person is called Friedrich Maria Sommerfeld. He's from Germany. And he is currently working on a couple of nice Instagram posts. He's going to polish up our Instagram. So that's why I think all of you out there, if you aren't doing so already, then you should really follow us on Instagram as at Studying Pixels. Because in the future... The idea is that you're not going to just find, hey, here's a new episode and this is a clip from it, but you're also going to get additional information and interesting stuff when it comes to video game culture, but also video game studies. So it's going to be really cool. Like the posts that we've created internally to just check out how things would work, they seem pretty nice. Yeah, uh, no, I'm really excited about it. And uh, I'm excited to have Friedrich on board with us. It's going to be a, the team is growing, Stefan. It's growing very Slowly nicely. but steadily. <laughs> the team is growing. If you want to support us in our growth, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus, by the way, which is our Patreon program. And you will get not only our gratitude and not only a sticker that is really beautiful, mm. but also a monthly plus episode. And this month, in this Studying Pixels Plus episode, we talk about 10 features that should be in every game. Go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Dum dum dum. I want to be the very best. Bum 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 bum. <laughs> Uh, no one ever was. Doom, doom, It just doom, lights doom. a fire in me. <laughs> we could just keep going like this. Yeah, we could. There's nothing nostalgic um, quite like Pokemon. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there is. Although Pokemon Legends Arceus is a topic that we're going to talk about today. Mm. But 
it doesn't feature that song. Surprisingly, <laughs> it has a completely it has a completely different audio design actually than all the other Pokemon games that I've played before. Yeah, it's a really uh not to not to get off track right off the bat, but it is a really beautiful soundtrack. It fits the world, I think, pretty well. It fits the world very well, and I think it also is indicative of a point that I'm going to make later on, which is, to me, it seems very strongly inspired by a certain game called Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I've heard about <laughs> this. There's uh, uh, Yeah, it's quite yeah, popular. Something about, There's, oh, I can climb that mountain. <laughs> yeah, you're playing as Zelda, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> So, Dan, you've spent a whole lot more time with Pokemon Legends Arceus than I did. Yes. How much time did you spend with it? Have you played through it? And what are your, let's say, opening statement impressions? I think all in, I've probably put in 30 plus hours with it. Um, and I I have complete, or no, I have not completed it. There's one very important thing at the end of the game that I haven't done yet, just because it's going to take some time. Um, but I have beaten it. And I've played through it. And I think... My general impressions are um, it didn't necessarily wow me, but I think that what's really interesting about it is that for the past five or six years, Pokemon has been um, embracing some changes. They've been moving away from the turn-based formula, and with games like Pokemon Let's Go Eevee, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, and Pokemon Go, really, I think that's what kicked it off. They are, no pun intended, evolving Pokemon into something kind of new, where it's less of an RPG in a traditional turn-based sense and more of an open, walking around the world, catching Pokemon as you see them, exploring um, kind of action game. And I think it's trending in a really interesting way. And while I think that there's a lot of cool stuff in this game, the best thing I can say about it is that it's made me excited for the next one. Ah, and that is exactly why we're going to also keep the review in this main story section spoiler free but for everyone out there who has played through the game or who doesn't care too much about spoilers we're going to do a separate spoiler section at the very end of this episode so if you want to listen to that then you have to just stay tuned after our outro plays today mm. well I would totally agree with everything you said my impressions are a little bit more limited I've only played the first couple of hours I also, you played it in Japanese as well, right? I did, yep. Yeah, me too. But I think I'm at an like, early intermediate level probably in Japanese. And it just slowed my progress quite a bit. And then eventually I was interrupted because uh, we've got a review code for Horizon Forbidden West. Yes. We're going to talk about that later. But from what I got as my initial impressions, I felt like this video game has growing pains. Yeah. And... My kind of mixed impressions are that I like it. It's not bad. It's not a bad game by by far. It's a, an enjoyable video game in itself, but it shouldn't have these kind of growing pains as one of the series that is already quite mature. Yeah. <laughs> gonna, just by the by how many years it's already been out, right? I think so. Although in in fairness to um because I agree with that statement and to be devil's advocate for Pokémon, I think that because they were in the same formula for 20 years, um, this game, I would be shocked if there weren't growing pains. And frankly, I'm glad that they're taking these risks because even though it kind of hits as a little bland in certain places, um, the the foundation they're building for future games like Pokemon Legends um, will, I think, be really cool. Yeah, I agree. 
It's true. It is always hard to change. Mm. It's hard to change when you have such an established formula since I think the 90s, right? Yeah, With oh yeah. Pokemon Red and Blue. And all like most of the Pokemon game that were Pokemon games that were released, except for the spin-offs, they basically followed pretty much the same kind of formula with like a minor addition here or there or a little tweak here and there. Pokemon Legends Arceus feels to me like a step in a new direction, a little mm. bit of a shaky, wobbly step, a little bit insecure at times, but still yeah. a step worth taking. And one of the things that it starts off with straight away is that it doesn't take place in something that is like more contemporary, like most Pokemon games are, right? Yeah. But instead, it actually catapults you into a world. You're a time traveler, if I understood this correctly. And you are in a, a world that is like inspired by ancient Japan, if that is correct. Yeah. So it's it's deliberately a time travel story, which I didn't know about um, before going into it. I thought that it was just a game that took place in this kind of ancient world. But your character literally falls through the sky through a space-time yeah. rift into this you're always referred to as kind of the guy that fell from the sky yeah which is cool especially since yeah. um i think this is the first pokemon game i can think of that uh calls out your otherness um because usually you grow up in the world but in this case you're a stranger which is cool um and yeah the the region that you're in is called hisui which is apparently the old name for the Sinnoh region which is where diamond and pearl take place so it's an ancient version of that area in Pokemon. I like the idea that, yes, it makes a total difference of whether you are a child and you're kind of in this state of adolescence, mm. because Pokemon games are conventionally kind of also coming-of-age stories. Yes, very much. Whereas this one is more a story of being estranged, of being uh, yeah, a, a literal alien, an outsider yeah. in that society. And accompanying the process, the very initial process of how society reacts and reacts to and engages with Pokemon. Because what struck me as strange at first, and I read the sentences a couple of times because I wasn't sure whether I was understanding them correctly, <laughs> was that people are actually kind of scared of Pokemon. Like Pokemon are like disgusting, weird things to them. Yeah. And they're not, they're just these wild things that are out there and that must be kept at bay. That hooked me immediately because every other Pokemon game starts with the professor uh, of that region introducing him or herself to you and saying, Pokemon are our friends. Some people use them to battle. Others use them as, you know, around the house or whatever. But um, this, this professor, one of the first things he says to you is, the only thing we know about Pokemon is that they're really terrifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's great. It's like they're, they're, they're not domesticated Pokemon <laughs> and you won't see in the, uh, in the village that is basically your hub, which is uh, Kotobuki Mura. That's uh, it, at least it's it's Japanese name. Yeah, Jubilife from Diamond and Pearl. Jubilife. Yep. Okay, Jubilife Village. Is that you don't really encounter Pokemon there? People don't use them to uh, work on the fields or something. Instead, they do it themselves. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of nice because as you, um, so the 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 main driver of the story. There's a couple of things, but one of the big things, like with any Pokemon game, is that you're trying to fill out a Pokedex. But the cool thing about this game is that the Pokedex is a brand new idea. And the professor who's charging you with, with doing this works for a team, uh, the Galaxy team, who 
their primary job is to survey Pokemon and basically gather information to protect people. But the professor has this idea, well, yeah, okay, sure, we can protect ourselves, but we can also learn about these Pokemon and maybe befriend them. And as you get more uh, information in the Pokedex, people in the village start kind of warming up to the idea of Pokemon coming in and helping them. So it really, you see kind of the progression of where people were terrified of them to now they're kind of coexisting. Ah, that's really cool. And I like the idea and the new approach to the Pokedex. Mm. It's the very first Pokedex. It's not just some kind of, it doesn't feel like a just tedious repetition to fill it out to me, at least in the in the first couple of hours. Yeah. It strongly reminded me of what Michel Foucault describes in The Order of Things. <laughs> <laughs> to, br to bring in some French, Please. French philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it's this approach of, uh, you know, let's say classic societies on the verge of enlightenment, which mm. is kind of what this, what this period is about, where societies try to categorize and structure and name everything in the world. Yeah. You know, like these huge botanical compendiums that have been published at the time. And you're basically working on one of those, except for it's about Pokemon. And I like that idea. I like especially that in previous Pokemon games, you would catch a Pokemon and bam, the entire thing would be there and filled out for you. In this one, though, it's a lot easier to catch Pokemon. You basically mm -hmm. run through the world and you just throw Pokeballs left and right, it's you know, so and fun. it's just, it's, it's very fun. It's yeah. very fast. But it also means that just catching one won't fill out the Pokedex. Instead, you have several tasks that you need to accomplish, but you can choose which ones of those you want to accomplish. It can be you can catch a certain amount of them, you can defeat a certain amount of them, witness certain special attacks or their evolution, and so on. Like everything that you do kind of works towards filling out the Pokedex entry for each Pokemon. And I think that is very befitting to the idea of a researcher who tries to understand the behavior of these creatures. I totally agree. And I like that it's this um, taxonomic system because... Yeah, a taxonomy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Th the cool idea is that um, you can't just catch one Pokemon and have all the information, like you said. So the kind of implication is that, you know, back in the, in the village, in the hub world, there's a... Um, a, a pen where all of the Pokemon are kept that you've caught. And I love the idea that, you know, you catch, you catch one Starly, for example, the bird Pokemon. And the professor says, okay, well, this is just one specimen. I don't have enough information to really fully understand this. So then you catch 10 of them and then the Pokedex entries filled out because I love the idea that they say, oh, look, there's these minor details or this difference. This one has these moves. This one is this big, you know, it's, it's a cool idea and it doesn't feel tedious. Like you might think catching 10 Pokemon would feel like. Actually, it feels even liberating to mm. me because you can choose which kind of tasks to accomplish. I also felt encouraged to actually use the Pokemon that I caught. Yeah. One of the big problems that I had with Pokemon Shield was that I would catch a Pokemon, it would disappear in my inventory, in my stash, and I would never see that creature again. It's just, oh, okay. Yeah. It was once, it was a blip on my radar and it's gone. Whereas here, I think more actively about it. Okay, so I want to fill out the Pokedex. 
I don't want to really just go around and just catch random specimen of this one Pokemon. Instead, I'm going to carry it around, use it a couple of times in battle, try it out its different attacks and so on, and bam, Pokedex entry filled out. You're so right. There's a joke. I mean, it, I saw this online when I was playing Diamond and Pearl. There's a joke that like everybody has the same team in Diamond and Pearl or like in Sword and Shield, everybody eventually has the same team. It's there's a decided upon group of Pokemon that are just the ones you stick with. I don't get that sense in Arceus. You definitely can. You can choose which Pokemon you want for fighting and stuff, but it really does incentivize switching your team out and seeing what these Pokemon can do. And all throughout this journey, you're accompanied by um, a relatively colorful cast of characters, I yeah. felt. Like, those that I encountered, it might be that I found them more interesting because I had to decipher the Japanese language. Mm. I don't know what your impressions are. I found them mostly charming. Pretty typically Pokemon characters, but uh, sufficiently charming to keep me interested in what's going on in the story. I agree. I think that um, there's a few layers to the characters. They all have their quirks um, that come out in Japanese. You know, there's the the tough guy, the quiet guy, the, you know, chipper girl, like all these characters. Um, what I also like, though, is that uh, a lot of the characters are um, antecedents of characters in the mainline story, and not just from Diamond and Pearl. There's a character in particular named Ingo, and Ingo, I think, is from Black and White, and he fell through the sky like you did. So here's this guy from a different game who exists in this game as this kind of out-of-time character. So they're doing a lot of interesting things you wouldn't expect in a Pokemon game, and all of them feel like they serve a purpose in this town, they have their status, you know, people trust each other or they don't trust each other because of the differences in the clans. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in the characters, I think. There must be a whole lot more to come after what I have experienced. Because I always had this kind of a routine of you like being in the village and then you assemble your team, you head out and you're in like in this, it was, it's like a starting area where mm. you can catch some initial Pokemon. I didn't see much more of the game. It's, I, I think another point against this game for me is that as fun as the mechanics are in the game, um, the story is really, really slow going. Um, mm. and I think that's primarily because this is a game that's showcasing what a game like this will look like. So it, it, it starts off slow and then it really ramps up towards the end, but very quickly. So I think the, the points of interest for me in the story are in the characters and how they interact with one another, like the different clans, the Diamond and Pearl clan are kind of at each other's throats because they believe that the god of this world is different <laughs> from the other's perspective, which is a great idea for a Pokemon game. So lots of lots of interesting little world building and character stuff, just a really kind of slow and honestly boring at times story, I would say. But did you feel that the mechanics were able to carry that kind of uh, narrative extensiveness because the thing is that they did make not only catching pokemon more engaging but also the fighting as in you yeah. throw your pokemon directly at another wild pokemon right. while you see them waddling around in the wild <laughs> and then you have it, it is still a turn-based system but there's some modifications but to it for example you can uh, like amplify the power of your attacks which will also then make you slower or you can basically choose the speedy route where you 
deal less damage, but you're able to attack again more quickly. So the basically the pacing and the speed of the battles to me felt quite engaging, but after a couple of hours I could sense, okay, this is going to wear thin relatively quickly afterwards. I Yeah, I think I felt that. It was kind of peaks and valleys for me um, because mm. there's a part in the middle where I think I felt like I just want to get to the new area where I can catch new Pokemon and I have to get through this battle to do it. But I will say that at the end, when your Pokemon are kind of higher level, it's not like other Pokemon games where you, you just by virtue of playing them, your Pokemon become so overpowered that by the time you get to the end battles, it doesn't really challenge you. Um, Arceus is challenging. Um, at the end of the game, the last few fights that you have, it, it honestly comes down to if, <laughs> if you don't switch out a Pokemon that has a type advantage against the one that you're fighting, you might be dead in one attack. Um, which is really exhilarating because Pokemon games aren't that fast paced. So definitely in the middle, it kind of slows down, but I would say it picks up again at the end. Ah, uh, that it's so good that you mentioned this kind of tension in the battles, because I did definitely notice that when you yeah. play Pokemon Shield, which I just uh, played just for Japanese immersion uh, practice a couple of weeks before I started that again, just mm. the first couple of hours. And I noticed how easy it was to progress in that game, how the Pokemon that you would encounter would largely be pushovers. Yeah. Except for some specific um, peak battles and main story battles. But in Arceus, I always felt like every encounter that I have, maybe not every, but most of the encounters I have are genuine challenges. Not only because each attack packs a punch and they can easily draw your, your HP down, but also because I do want to conserve my resources because you yeah. can't just simply replenish them anywhere. You basically have some crafting options, but mostly you're basically not on a timer, but you have limited resources that you can use during your exploration of that, uh, of that specific area. Yeah. I think the, the crafting to me, you mentioned, it definitely... Again, Pokemon, by the end of most games, you kind of have an embarrassment of riches with all your items. And this one, I'm at the end of the game, and I'm still kind of struggling for crafting items. Um, which makes me really think about each journey out of the village as a real expedition, which I think is great. Um, and I think that the cool thing about this game is that if you don't follow up with training your Pokemon and getting items, you're going to feel it at certain points. Um, and you're going to feel like, oh, I really should have grinded a little bit more and caught more Pokemon and got better rewards from Captain Selene, you know, all of the great stuff that's going on in this game. So I, I would say you definitely feel its, its slowness at times, but it, it kind of like ramps you back up pretty periodically. Yeah, it also doesn't hold your hand as much as other Pokemon games, mm -hmm. except for the first beginning hours where you go through an elaborate tutorial, which I felt sometimes like it would never end. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a very long tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have the situation that when you roam the wild, then you can encounter Pokemon fairly early on that are extremely strong in comparison to your strength at the start. So you yeah. need to watch out which kind of Pokemon you actually engage with and <clears> which you may might be better advised to hide or run from because they can immediately attack you when they see you. And the entire process that I went through in these first couple of hours 
to me, they really felt like a roguelike. Mm. That's why I think that the most interesting aspects of Pokemon Legends Arceus is that it is in some ways really inspired by roguelike. You start out in this village, which is basically your base, and there you can upgrade and craft and you can put together your team. And then you go out into the wild and you try to be as efficient as possible in completing Pokedex tasks. You ha- you cash them in afterwards with you- with the professor and then you repeat the entire process. And every time you go out, you go out a little bit stronger Yeah. and you can venture a little bit further, catch a couple more Pokemon, fill out more tasks or go to a new area. That was the kind of process that I felt like was always there in the Pokemon series, but Pokemon Legends Arceus really brought it to the forefront of the gameplay dynamic. It really rewards you too, because um, one of the the things that I really don't like about the Pokemon series that happened, um, I think with Ruby and Sapphire, and then it just progressed from that point on, is <clears throat> there are these systems for stat raising for your Pokemon called the uh, EVs and the IVs, and it's all this meta gaming kind of. I still don't really know how it works. Um, all I know is that the better those are, the better your Pokemon stats are. Um, what I really liked about this game is that. So let's say you go out and you catch forty Pokemon, and you give them to the professor, and then they go into your your pen. You can go to the pen and you can release all of them. And when they release, you can get these items that raise those values without, you don't have to like farm for a really good Pokemon. You don't have to spend hours looking for the one with the best stats. You can make any Pokemon really good by using these items. So I think you're right because it does give you the impression that, okay, you have all these tools at your disposal. You can do whatever you want. And the better you prepare, the further you're going to get, the more resources you'll get. So the further you can get next time. It's a lot of fun. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think that's what made it the most fun for me, whereas the thing that made it the most unenjoyable was the technical fidelity. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> I, I just think, I think, well, um, the Nintendo Switch has limited capabilities. I'm aware of that. We have to make concessions, I know. But we've seen games like Super Mario Odyssey. We've seen games like Breath of the Wild, which is exceptional in many ways. But yes, Pokemon... I think it has no reason to look as ugly as it does. A lot of frame rate issues, a lot of uh, bland open spaces. Um, I, I'll say this. I was very unimpressed with the open world. Um, I think Pokemon is such a cool world and it just didn't feel like it didn't feel like there was a lot of stuff to explore. There's a lot of ways to explore. You get these special Pokemon that let you travel fast or climb mountains or fly a little bit. Um, but there's not, it's not really enticing like a Breath of the Wild is. And I feel like the game was kind of pitched that way and it really doesn't live up to it. Yeah, I think when I say it felt to me like a roguelike, then I mean it could have very well been one. The open world seems so bland and so uninspired that it might have well been just randomly generated. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it wouldn't have made much of a difference to me if they would have told me, hey, and this is like every time you go out there, it changes its structure or something. It's like, oh, okay, it looks like that anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will say this. Um, selfishly, I'm glad that this was 
this was done in the diamond and pearl world. Because what I'm hoping is that they'll learn from their mistakes and they'll learn from the feedback of it being bland and we'll get a really beautiful Kanto region Pokemon Legends game, like the red and blue area. Because I feel like that, that or maybe the um, the Johto region from gold and silver, there's so many cool ideas that you could do. And if those games were as bland as this one is, I'd be really disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I think this is mostly the impression that I that I'm going away from with, that I'm going away with from this game that it feels like okay, it did many things in new or interesting ways for Pokemon. This yeah. is nothing, none of this is really new for video games. It's just new for Pokemon. And I am looking forward to what they might develop this into at the same time I just can't help, while I was playing, I just thought, man, there are games like, you know, Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild, uh, Animal Crossing. Amongst all of these, let's say, I'm not going to say first party, but I'm going to say Nintendo exclusive mm. series. Unfortunately, by now, Pokemon has a relatively weak standing among them, I feel like. I think so. I think, I mean, it's still a huge franchise. Everybody loves Pokemon, but I think that the hardcore fans of it, um, I think get disappointed with every release. Um, I don't know that I feel that way. I definitely think I, I see the long arc, the long Arceus of Pokemon games. And, uh, I can see a couple years down the line, a really cool Pokemon legends game, um, that this set up. But for now, I think okay, cool, you prove that it can be done, this open-world Pokemon game where you're running around catching Pokemon and throwing them at things. So now let's really wow people with the next one. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Dum, dum, dum. I want to be <laughs> the very best. Okay, shall we close it off with this? Yeah, sounds good to me. I, I would say, then, would you recommend it, first of all? recommend it yeah um i would say uh yes but only once uh, there is a gap in your gaming biography and you say okay <laughs> i don't have anything uh, of like for me for example it was easy to basically bounce off of pokemon and play something else yeah i think it need for me it needs to be a time like let's say over the christmas period where i just want to like casually jump into a game and just do some uh, roguelike style runs in in, in a pokemon world and I would also say, for what it is and for the production quality that it has, it's a bit overpriced. I think mm. uh, it's for 60 US dollars, it's a bit much. I think wait, wait until there's like a sale. There's no urgency to play this game right now. I agree. I think um, I liked a lot of it. I was bored for a good portion of it. But on the whole, I would say it's doing a lot of interesting things and it's worth the purchase when the price comes down. And if you want to hear more about something interesting that it does, dear listeners, then stick around after the end of this episode where we're going to talk about some spoilers of Pokemon Legends Arceus because Dan has some impressions that he wants to share and I don't know what they are either. Yes. I'm super interested. I'm going to be around. I'm going to stick around. <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> but in the meantime and before that, we're going to go ahead and do some side questing. As you know, dear listeners, in our side quests, we venture through the internet, find interesting and relevant articles and bring them on the show. We also talk about our own impressions of video games we're currently playing. And of course, you can find all of the links that we reference in the show notes. Number one, we're changing gears from Pokemon to Horizon 2 Forbidden West, which is kind of the hot topic right now. Yeah. So you, you uh, have dived into this and we actually got a review copy is that right that is something important we need to mention up top yes we got a review code from sony uh thanks very much of course uh, that is cool. as always not going to taint or alter our impressions but what did really alter my impression i must say is jumping from pokemon to horizon because i basically that was like an immediate switch and it was probably the reason for why when i started up horizon and this beautiful detailed world popped off the screen i was like wow so, so this is <laughs> it how can video, be done <laughs> it can be done so this is how an open world can also look it's amazing <laughs> oh man so you you said uh before we started the show that you are addicted to it so would you say that that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> that is a really good thing yeah it is uh, we're going to do a proper review of this at a later point. I just uh, played through the first couple of hours. There is also, um, there's a bit of a tutorial at first that's fairly linear where you're introduced to all the key mechanics and then you're let loose in this kind of opening area that's not mm. that's not quite the Forbidden West. It's like, an, like a, a transient kind of space. I'm going to describe it as such. The strongly discouraged Northwest. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not quite forbidden, but yeah. Yeah, going there is also not really recommended. <laughs> it's really wonderful. It's so much fun. You come into it and it's immediately Horizon. It is Horizon mm. as you know it and love it. Aloy is immediately charming. Uh, the other characters that surround her, that are with her on her journey, this is particularly one person at the very beginning, but also the other characters you encounter fairly early on so far, they were all exactly on point when it comes to writing, when it comes to acting. Of course, you got your rando NPCs that are just like sitting or standing around that have like just a one-line thing and they're a bit awkward. But uh, even the, the smaller NPCs that play a role and that you can actually communicate with are so believable and so wonderfully written and acted that it's just immediately engaging. Obviously, at the mm. forefront of which is uh, Ashley Birch's performance of Aloy, which yeah. is just simply immaculate. I noticed in a conversation that I played yesterday in a tavern that they put so much effort into, you know not only highlighting the person that is currently speaking, when you talk to an, you know this feeling when you play a video game and you talk to an NPC and your character model is just kind of like stiff, like, mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in this case, I, I specifically observed Aloy and it's like she reacts like with even small details to everything in this conversation. That is just really cool. Yeah. And at the same time, I must also say that there is a short intro video that introduces the events of the first game but it it's very brief it's very superficial and afterwards you're quickly thrown into this idea where Aloy is already like a savior and the events of the first game are clearly referenced and talked about without showing you in detail what happened mm. so for anyone out there who wants to get into Horizon Forbidden West I think it's clearly a sequel so this is really something where it can be safely recommended to play the first game before going into the Forbidden West. I was going to ask you about that because a lot of times um, you, video games are somewhat good about you can just pick up the sequel and just jump in. But you would recommend if you haven't played Zero Dawn that you should before going into this. I think so, for two reasons. One is that you will understand more at the beginning of the story. You will understand mm. the scope of what has happened and how Aloy came to be the person that she is uh, in at the beginning of Forbidden West. And also because Horizon Zero Dawn is still such a, an excellent game to play that I don't think there's much that would stand in the way of enjoying it. So... I think it would make sense. If you want to get into Horizon, then to play Zero Dawn first and then uh, Forbidden West. At the same time, though, I, I mean, what I've seen so far of Horizon Forbidden West is absolutely wonderful. The world mm. is beautiful. The machines are so alive in this world, right? You know the feeling when you just, uh, you, you are on your way to a, a quest marker. You don't know what is there. And then there are these like hordes of machines that are like roaming around and they behave like, for anyone who has never played Horizon, a little bit like dinosaurs, you could say, mm. or like ancient animals. But at the same time, they are machines and they've got like these laser eyes and stuff like that. And you can hunt them down. You have to be strategic. I'm playing on the hardest difficulty. So it's a wonderful challenge. But before every encounter to think about from which angle am I going to tackle them? Can I take out maybe 
the two scouters at the beginning so that they can't call for backup and then I might place a trap here and I might override another machine so it can cause some ruckus. These kinds of just procedural tensions that occur within the game constantly are mm. super engaging. That's really, that's cool to hear. I think, um, so I, uh, I have not played it yet. I actually went out looking for a physical copy yesterday, um, which was Friday when we're recording this and, uh, could not find one. So I'm looking to get one soon, but I, I'm really excited about it. I think we've talked before about how, um, games kind of creep up on us now and yeah. you get really excited when a, a big one or a, you know, a really cool one comes out. So I'm glad to hear that your first impressions are so, uh, you know, exciting and enjoyable. Yeah. They're very positive across the board. That being said, it's not perfect. I can say that already because there are some things where I thought, hmm, okay, this game could have taken a little bit more time. Mm. I respect, though, that the Guerrilla Games, they made a conscious decision not to engage with crunch, not to expect any overtime from the employees, and instead delay the game, because they were initially planning to release it at the end of last year, but they pushed it back, which I think was a very good decision. Of course, it's a huge open-world game, there are some clipping problems. There are some glitchy things. The world, since the world is so detailed, and since the ground is basically never even, Aloy's legs sometimes, like, you know, seem a little bit weird or not really a little bit floaty. Like, yeah, there are these kinds about. of details that if you look at them specifically, then you can notice them. Or I saw a tree, a tree stump that was basically not on the ground, but just floating a bit above it. And so on. <laughs> it's like... These are things that happen if you jump into a huge open world game on day one. And yeah. that's why I can basically brush that aside and be like, these are minor things. They will be fixed over time. They will not be all too relevant. There are also some conscious decisions that they've made that are probably, some are for the better. Some are like, mm, some are maybe a little bit more ambiguous. One is mm. that, you can you now have a grappling hook. It's called a pull caster. And you get this fairly early on in the game. But it's not a grappling hook in a sense of, you know, you would find it in other games where you can pretty much just like grapple and zip line around the world everywhere. But it only works in specific spots. And mm. it can accelerate your climbing a little bit, but it's not like a really game-changing implementation. What does change the vibe of it quite a bit is that now you have, you know, Aloy, she has a focus in her end. You can use it like a focus ping to show you items that you can collect and so on, like places of importance that are in your immediate vicinity. You can also now see climbing ledges. Like they are marked with, hmm. you know, like yellow lines. And this is cool because it makes the world very accessible, very readable. You can immediately see, oh, okay, I can climb there. But wherever you can't climb, it displays like uh, just red crosses, small red crosses. Okay. And to me, I know that it's very practical, but on the other hand, it also kind of shows me the limitations of this world because I walk along, like, let's say there's some, there's some ledges and there's like a, a like a, a cliff and then I'm walking along and I ping and then it shows me all the places I can't climb. 
Mm. And it's like, okay, I maybe wouldn't have tried to climb this wall because it doesn't look like I could climb it. But thanks for showing me that I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. You know? Yeah, kind of. It's almost like anti-exploration in that sense. It's like, don't yeah. even try it. It's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a bit strange in that regard. I think that feature requires some tweaking still. I think uh, it would suffice to highlight the spots where you cannot climb, where you can climb and to basically not react to those where you cannot climb. That would already be sufficient. You don't need to put yeah. these red crosses everywhere. <laughs> but well, I think that's one of the one of the new features that they implemented, and we're going to see how it pans out over time. Across the board, though, first, let's say, five to ten hours of the game are extremely enjoyable and very immediately fun. Very good. I can't wait to start. Number two, you in the meantime have looked into a game that I'm also very curious about, and that is Sifu. Yes, Sifu. Um, I put down Pokemon and I picked up Sifu, and I'm so glad I did. Um, <laughs> it's uh, not not because Pokemon is, you know, I feel like we're ragging on Pokemon a little bit. Pokemon, poor, I like Pokemon. Poor Pokemon. But, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, no, Sifu, um, so I've played through to the first boss, um, and I have to say, uh, if you want a modern example of how to open a game, boy, Sifu is a great example of that. Um, so the, the setup for Sifu is that, um, you're playing as this character whose father was killed in an act of revenge by kind of a, uh, well, I think anyway, a, a bad Kung Fu guy. Um, and you grow up, um, seeking revenge against him and his gang for killing your father. And the the gameplay is really fluid and fast. It's all about like real-time fighting where you have all these different Kung Fu moves that you can use. You take on kind of uh, groups of enemies at a time and you're, it feels really satisfying to block and repost and, and take people down and use um, weapons in the area to you just kind of pick up bottles and bars and stuff like that and implement them into your fighting strategy. Really fun, really easy to pick up. And what I really like about it is that you don't start as the main character. You start as the guy who kills the main character's father. Ooh. And yeah. And so you, you start playing as this character named Yang, who with his gang infiltrates your father's house, his compound, and kills him um, in front of you, the main character. And what is so great about this is that when you're playing as Yang, you're already a master fighter. So you are just tearing through people like it's nothing. And then you get to the main character and it's a little bit harder because you don't have the experience that Yang had. So you're playing through the game, trying to kind of run through his ranks and get to him. It's a very simple, very um, simple yet dynamic and really complex uh, system of fighting that matches perfectly with the story, which is at this point just seems like a revenge story. What impressed me so much when I in, when I saw Sifu is that it seems so focused on like uh, close range combat, yeah, so fluid and so impactful that I was immediately involved in what I saw when when the initial trailer came out. Is that something that holds up throughout the the initial hours of playing it? Yes, the cinematography for this game is so engaging and um, it melds so well with the haptic feedback on the PS5 controller. Every hit feels like you're hitting something. 
And when you get hit, it's a little harder <laughs> in the haptic feedback. Um, so it's very, you know, I, I'm loath to use this word, but it's true here. It's very immersive in the way that you're playing as this character. Um, the other thing that I really love, it wowed me right away, was there was a reference to the film The Raid, um, where at one point early in the game, the camera shifts to uh, a view where you're looking at just a static shot of a hallway where your character is just ripping through a bunch of people. And it's a direct reference to that film pulled off fantastically. And I think that I've only gotten to the first boss. So moments like that make me so excited to see what else the game has. My initial um, association was old boy. Oh yes. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of, no, you're right. I'm thinking of old boy. Excuse yeah, me. That boy. scene. Mm. Yes. I was, I, uh, the scene in the He's hallway where fighting it's, the guys in the corridor, a very yes, close range, just, constant action. Mm cameras locked down it's yeah. as if we're standing on the side of the hallway you're right i'm sorry yes old boy both great movies <laughs> but, <laughs> um but wow it's uh it's immediately gripping and it also what i really appreciate about it is that it doesn't waste your time it's very dense but it's also very very fast-paced um and i i'm I'm honestly talking about it. I want to go and play it right now. <laughs> uh, have you got any impressions of this mechanic that seems a little bit ominous and unclear to me? Of It's sounded a bit like roguelike style to me that when you die, you age. Yes, it's I I don't I don't have enough of a sense of what it's doing other than the narrative function of it. So when you, you, your character has this wristband, it's like a talisman and it allows him to come back to life. But every time he comes back to life, um, he ages a year. So you have like a death counter in the game. So if you die once and you choose to come back, you know, you start at age 20. So if you die once and you choose to come back, you come back at age 21. Now, let's say you keep fighting and your death counter goes up to three, and then you come back. Now you're age 24. So it keeps adding age, and I don't, I don't know. I imagine as you get older, it gets harder. Um, but all I can really glean from it, and this is just the, the narrative kind of metaphor that's being thrown into it, is this character is very clearly defined by this revenge quest. And so... To me, it reads mainly as devoting yourself to a life of getting back at somebody really diminishes your life. And yeah. I think that's a really cool mechanic to add in to demonstrate that in a video game. I think so too. I think it's a really interesting feature. I would be curious, obviously, to see what happens if you get really old. <laughs> like, yeah. Will this game just, this, will it have permadeath? Will it just end? I think what I've heard so far from the reviews that I've read is that when you age, your health, your life bar gets shorter, but your mm. strength, your power gets stronger. So you hit harder, maybe because you become a Kung Fu master. Uh, yeah. But I would be very curious to to hear what actually comes of it and whether it's whether there's a payoff at the end that is befitting to this kind of very involving action gameplay. If the opening is anything to go by, I would be shocked if it doesn't. I think um, what a 
I don't know. I was just I was blown away by the um, the simple hook of this mm. game, and I'm really excited to finish it. So I'll probably dive into that more before I get into Horizon. But um, I think it's going to be worth the time. It seems like a game of a manageable length. Yeah, very fast paced. Um, I think designed probably for replays because as I was playing it, I think I, I died enough that I was like age 25 when I got to the first boss. Um, and all I could think was, oh, I bet there's a really cool run of this where you, you're age 20 the entire time and you, you know, you never die. And, uh, I'm sure that's already been done at this point, but yeah, it's like playing yeah. Dark Souls in your underwear, basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we've got two more short stories. Number three, Cyberpunk 2077 made some headlines this week with its patch 1.5 and the next generation update that it included. This is taken directly from cyberpunk.net, from their roadmap, and from their current press releases. So that's why I would just say it's written by CD Projekt Red and their marketing mm. department, their PR department. <laughs> so we know that Cyberpunk 2077 had a rather tumultuous release history. It's developed by CD Projekt Red, and they have some great uh, reputation due to their work with The Witcher 3. They've got a very high-profile involvement of actors such as Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk 2077. And there was a huge release hype. And then it hit the ground hard. Cyberpunk oh 2077 broke more promises than it kept. It was in a desolate technical found, uh, like situation. It had to be removed from the PlayStation Store. You have to imagine... For everyone who's not been paying attention to this, everyone who's been living behind a rock, that Cyberpunk was this game that everyone was kind of looking forward to. And then there was like, it was like the, the birds were singing from the trees. Oh God, this is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> and then eventually one of the most highly anticipated games for years had to be pulled from the PlayStation Store because it was clearly unplayable and in no state for it to be released. However, we also know that CD Projekt Red works pretty consistently on its games. They've done so in the past, and that is why I have in our prediction episode, which we did at the end of last year, I have predicted that Cyberpunk 2077 will blossom this year. Not blossom again, because it never really blossomed, but will First blossom <laughs> properly <laughs> this year. And it seems like they have taken a major step in the right direction on 15th of February. Because after several incremental patches that they have released, CD Projekt Red released a major patch, 1.5. It's so much is in that patch that we can't mention everything. You, dear listeners, can read up in the show notes if you want to see the entire patch notes. But just for example, they now implemented a full current-gen compatibility. So there's ray tracing, there's usage of the adaptive triggers, which, Dan, you have just praised in the case of Sifu. Mm -hmm. There's a performance mode, so the game runs smoothly. They've added a variety of apartments that can be purchased and customized in greater variety. Night City, which is the open world, is supposed to be considerably more alive more NPCs, more crowds, more different NPCs. Not just copy and pasted characters, but actually different character models. And according to the impressions that I found on Reddit, this really seems to make a difference. I'm not playing Cyberpunk at the moment, but 
from what I've heard, people were really impressed as to how Good. much it changes the vibe of the city. The driving has been optimized, and there's a whole range of new quests that have been added. It's like a small free DLC that has been added to the game. So I think this puts them well on track to fulfill my prediction that Cyberpunk 2077 will indeed blossom this year. I My expectation is that this is basically the first major step in this direction, and that in the summer this year, they will release a patch 2.0, mm-hmm. which will be accompanied by a lot more free content updates. And that will be the point in time when people jump back into it. At the moment, it already happens that people are jumping back into Cyberpunk and they say, wow, the game has finally been released. This is the time when it should have been released in the first place. You know, Don't release yeah. it beforehand. Just keep it to yourself. Work on it. Take the time. And then you will get a good press, you will get a good resonance from players. That's what they should have done to begin with. But now it seems like they're slowly fulfilling the promises that they have made. I'm glad of that. I think um, I, I these games that kind of come out broken and then they get fixed later, I'm always on the fence about them. But I am really uh, cognizant of the issues that the developers run into because crunch is crazy. Um, expectations are crazy and you know the people who are making the game don't really get to they don't get a say in what the project lead or the CEO or whoever the promises that they're making to people so there's often a lot of conflict there and I think that when things like this happen like it happened with No Man's Sky beautifully where horrible release and they've been doing nothing but great work on it ever since Um, And I have a lot of respect for that because they could have easily said, that was a fluke. We're walking away from it. We'll try again next time. But they're kind of owning up to mistakes and working on it. And I think you're right. I think we're in for a return to form with Cyberpunk. I really appreciate that, that they are saying, we're not going to give up on it. They've, to be honest, the people that have been working on Cyberpunk, and I'm not talking about the CEOs, but I'm talking the people that sit on their desks and actually coding for the game, designing graphics, designing levels, designing characters, and tweaking the gameplay. They've been working on this for so long that now to just let it go and be like, well, okay, the last few years just basically went to the trash, never mind, (laughs) life goes on. I think that would be a shame because there seems to be so much potential there. And I'm glad that they're saying, we're not giving up on it. We'll continue to develop this game until the point that people say, Now it is what it was supposed to be to begin with. Agreed. Number four. Yes, the rare human interest piece out of Nebraska. Ah, Nebraska. (laughs) Yes. So this is just a little story, but I was, uh, Stefan, you know, I'm I'm a big, you know, retro game guy. I love physical media. um, And I think it's important to have libraries of these things. And in Nebraska a huge collection of rare games was just found. Um, Nearly a thousand games was found in um, what looks like an old storage unit. So uh, this story, I've I've linked it in the show notes. It's just a local news story from KETV in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, But there was an old storage unit where a ton of these old, like SNES, Sega uh, Genesis, 
um, some Saturn games, I think. Like a lot of games from about 30 years ago, the mid-90s, were found in this storage unit. And what seems to have happened was there was a game store that sold games at the time and uh, it went out of business or they went belly up or they just left. And all of their inventory got crated up and put into the storage unit that was lost and forgotten to time. So along comes somebody, maybe they bought the storage unit. Not a lot is known about who found it. They don't want to reveal themselves because this is a lot of money we're talking about. <laughs> so um, they found this storage unit, they found these games, and they're currently getting appraised. But we're talking about, um, you know, a lot of money here. Um, the gentleman who's kind of curating this for these folks who found it, a guy named Chris Thompson, um, says in this uh, little interest piece, these games are probably going to get hours worth of research. I mean, there will probably be a team of people somewhere who do this professionally that will drop everything and get on this at some point. Because they're looking at games like Chrono Trigger that goes for $300 easy. Um, they're looking at all these, like lots of copies of these games, presumably in box. So you can tell I'm getting excited just at the prospect of these things existing, but really cool story. Thought I'd shine some light on it. It is just so peculiar. Imagine you go right? into this storage unit and you're like, oh, what are these boxes? And you open it up, open one up and you're like, wait, is that, what, what is that? <laughs> yeah. And it's I, like originally I, an, an original, uh, like still intact packaged copy of Chrono Trigger. Yeah. And or think, like five of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on yeah, top yeah. of each other. Yeah. yeah. Huh? Okay. <laughs> and, and you dig further into that box and you realize, oh my God, these are all like, Super rare. How long have they been in here? This must be exciting. This must this like borders the excitement that you would have when you find ET cartridges in the desert, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Although maybe a little more lucrative than that. But yes. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought um it it kind of makes you think, uh how many how many situations like this are there? There's gotta be a lot of them, like all over the world where you know, somebody had a mom and pop video game shop and they, they went belly up and where did their inventory go? Either they sold it off or it's sitting in someone's basement. And yeah. it's kind of exciting to think about that. It's like a treasure hunt. I once had a really interesting conversation at a conference with a person who works in an arcade museum. And mm. they told me very similar stories and also of the importance of conserving these arcade machines because arcade machines Obviously, they fall apart over time. They're made out of yeah. wood. They have like all kinds of silicone, all kinds of stuff, plastic that just falls apart over time if they're not properly taken care of. And how many people, how many, let's say, closed stores, arcades, but also just bars and pubs and so on have uh, some kind of arcade machine just dusting away there? I think yeah. it's video game conservation is a really important task that if we don't pay attention to it now, then it will basically kick us in the butt later on. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, this story came out um, right around the same time that uh, it was announced that Nintendo is no longer selling games on the Wii U or 3DS shop. And so, not that these are intrinsically connected, but I think you know, digital media goes away. They can pull it at any time, you know? And uh, these things that we find, um, it's important to take care of them because as you said, otherwise they would just kind of rot and that's a shame. Dear listeners out there, number five, a very brief one. If you wish to attend a conference very soon, then here's a recommendation. This is the conference with the title 
Culture at Play. Spaces, Colors, Stories in Digital Games. It is scheduled for March 4th till March 5th. So that will be in two weeks. It's a game studies conference with, you know, that goes over two days, all kinds of keynotes and interesting topics, such as, for example, inside social order and control. Hmm, just as an example. Or here, I read another one. The death of mothers and life of fathers. The absence of mother figures in contemporary video game narratives. Hmm. Mm. Or maybe another one. From Zero to Hero, the outcast heroine's story in contemporary video game narratives. Hmm. Okay. There's some pretty, cool. pretty neat topics in there. I'm going to try and join if I have the time. And if you out there want to do that as well, this is going to take place online. So you can join from wherever you are around the globe. The only thing that you need to do is you need to register. And you register by sending an email to the following email address. I'm only going to read it out here. I'm not going to post it in the show notes because I don't want them to get like some kind of spam emails because of some kind of bot that crawls the internet. So I'm just <laughs> going to read it out here. This is the email that you need to read out to. This is culture at play. One word. Culture at play at anglistic with a k this is a german anglistic dot uni minus freiburg dot de once more culture at play at anglistic dot uni minus freiburg dot de feel free to reach out it just says here in the in the invitation that i received if you would like to attend the conference please send an email stating so to this email address so you just need to mention that you would like to join and that they shall send you an invitation. I think I'm going to try and join if I have the time because at the beginning of March, I have a little bit of vacation. Mm. Oh, nice. That's going to be great. That's going to be yes. fantastic. Mm, I'm going to... Well-deserved. going to go into a sauna. Mm. Ooh. Maybe. This is, I, all right. Yeah, this <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> just, you know, going, going to the gym, going for a run, and then afterwards... In the sauna, oh, and nice then basically sauna. just like feeling how your sore muscles are just like, oh. <laughs> this is that sounds like nice. a perfect vacation to me. Mm. <laughs> I'll spend the entire vacation in the sauna with a, you know, with a, with a display and playing like... Uh, playing Horizon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shh, I'm playing. You can't, excuse me, you can't bring your PS5 into the sauna. <laughs> I didn't see that anywhere. <laughs> There's no sign that says no PS5s. I'm sorry. <laughs> that thing would overheat within two minutes. Oh my God, <laughs> poor console. Well, anyway, everyone out there, thank you so very much for listening. If you want to support us, if you like this show, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus. Please find out more by going to studyingpixels.com. It would be very helpful if you would leave us a nice little review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to reach out, you can head over to studyingpixels.com slash contact. Then we're going to talk next week about what are we going to talk about? We'll see. Maybe the Horizon review or maybe something else. Who knows? It'll be exciting regardless. Yeah, we have it planned. I just don't have the sheet open right now. <laughs> okay, enjoy your week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye now. Psst. Hey, are you still there? I'm here. I never Damn. leave. I sit here. <laughs> I wait for the next show. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> basically just sitting there in yeah. the session, logged in, microphone in front of you, being like, hmm, yeah. you are listening to Studying Pixels. <laughs> <laughs> Which you are, by the way, everyone out there. Um, if you want to be surprised by the narrative developments of Pokemon Legends Arceus, then it is our recommendation that you turn off this show now. The outro is over, so why are you still here? Yeah. But if you are interested in what happens and you want to follow along and hear Dan's thoughts on the matter, the ending of Pokemon Arceus and potential of a sequel, then stick around because that's what we're going to talk about for a couple more minutes. So, uh, everybody, get your secret hats on because mm. um, there's just one character that I want to talk about who ends the story, but he's there the entire time. Stefan, what are your thoughts on Volo, the merchant? Who's, who, who's that? <laughs> he's the uh, he's the guy with the, the togepi who he he's part of the Ginkgo Guild who sells things. He comes up to uh, you. He's the first guy that you fight. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that when I encountered him pretty much early on at the beginning because I was always wondering while playing Arceus, who is my rival? You yeah. always got like one kind of rival, dude. And I thought either it's the, it's uh, Shaw, I think is her name, right? Mm. Yep. Uh, the the girl that you basically, that basically introduces everything to you. Either it's her or it's that Volo dude. Is it that Volo dude? Is it, it is. my rival? It is Volo. Uh-huh. But he's, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a great twist because it's not apparent until the end of the game. So um, throughout the, throughout the game, uh, Volo keeps showing up and he's on your side. He's like helping you out. He's, um, giving you insight into the world. He's also very knowledgeable about the history of the Hisui region. And once you've beaten the game, the post game opens up and the idea is that, okay, there are all these like plates, these items that have some kind of historical link to Arceus, the Pokemon and Volo charges you with, let's go find all of them. And so you go and you you collect these plates, and eventually it's revealed that Volo has been trying to get these plates so that he can get the attention of Arceus, who, for those of you who don't know, is essentially God in the Pokemon universe. He's trying to get the attention of Arceus because he wants to be chosen by Arceus and recreate the world in a new image, right? So... You end up fighting with him at the end. He summons this Pokemon Giratina, which is like the Pokemon devil in my understanding. And you fight against that Pokemon and you defeat Volo and he's crestfallen because he wasn't chosen by Arceus. So I just want to bring this up because I did not expect Pokemon to have a story about an antagonist who is upset that they were not the chosen person. Um... There's a lot of great games that are doing this, and it sneaks up on you at the end. Here's Volo, who directly says, I don't know why Arceus picked you, you know, main character or player character. I'm the one who devoted my life to it. I don't know why I'm not getting the the grace of the Pokemon God. Such a cool twist that I was not expecting in this game. And if they keep up with narrative ideas like that, I can't wait to see where this series goes. It's so cool that you mentioned that because that actually does change my impressions of the game a tiny bit. Because yeah. honestly, I'm not going to finish Arceus. Uh, I'm going to continue playing it at some point just because I want to enjoy playing it in Japanese. Yeah. But this is something that I would have never expected of of, of Pokemon to do. It's yeah. so uh, 
just because I've encountered the character as well, you would not like you would kind of assume that okay, there's some kind of rivalry going on, but this extent that he basically becomes a character that almost ascends to a kind of meta-narrative level of saying, why am I not? It's almost as if he's saying the way you explain it, as if he says, why am I not the protagonist of this game? Exactly, exactly. That is amazing. That's a kind of uh, reach for, I'm going to say, a trans-diegetic reach, like through the world of just the, the, the fictional world and into the actual world of you being the person playing the game, being kind of in the role of Arceus, I assume. Uh, that is amazing. Well, it's also, um, and to kind of, this is what excited me so much because first of all, I love stories like that where, as you say, this trans-diegetic, like a character reaching out to the player and saying, why not me? It's a roll of the Painful, dice. Painful, isn't it? It is. It's a roll of the dice that you got to do this. Why not me? I, I have more merit, right? And what struck me as so cool about that is that Pokemon is a series about merit because you prove your worth, you rise in the ranks, and you become the best by kind of defeating other people or collecting Pokemon. And so here's this character who's done everything right his whole life. He knows all the history of the world. He knows about these Pokemon when no one else does. And he's so angst-ridden because he's not the one who gets to go on this journey. What a cool idea for a Pokemon game. <laughs> so keep up that train, please. I'd love to see a game with that throughout the whole story, not just at the end. That is, yeah. Is it, I, Honestly, I'm, I feel quite a bit stunned myself because I think I wouldn't have expected such a twist of a Pokemon game. And at yeah. the same time, I feel like it circles all the way back to the initial point and the initial observation that we made that you are an outsider Mm. to this world. And that is what makes you the chosen one because you are not part of this world, right? Right. And I think that's what makes, puts you into this kind of distinguished role. That's what gives you this kind of stigma of being estranged from the world. And at the same time, it also gives you an opportunity to grow as the chosen one. Yeah. Probably in opposition to Volo. So, wow, cool, amazing. What do you think is... Is the sequel going to do anything with that? Is it going to be a completely different story? Probably it's going to be a completely different story, right? I, th- I Maybe think Maybe with so. a reference or so. Yeah, I think it's going to be a totally different story, but I think the theme is what I'm most interested in. This yeah. idea that, um, as you say, you're an interloper coming into this world and this character who's so entwined with the world, knows everything about it, gets frustrated that you're getting all the benefits. And I think that would be a great pokemon antagonist to see throughout the entire game and the other the other cool thing is that he even implies he might even directly say this but it it came off as an implication he implies that he opened the space-time rift um to reach out to arceus the god to kind of get his blessing and And instead instead you you come out yeah (laughs) (laughs) so cool stuff Ah, that's painful. It's painful to hear, but at the same time, super engaging. Thank you for sharing this. And I hope that everyone out there, if this wouldn't be something that would deter me from playing Pokemon, because it's not really a game that you play because you want to know how it ends. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Right. But, uh, but still, I think it's uh, it's very valuable to know and maybe even would improve my enjoyment because then you can read it in a different lens. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this little spoiler conversation on Pokemon Legends Arceus. And then we'll say goodbye to the last of you remaining around here <laughs> in these vestiges of the, of the internet. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye now. <laughs>